And here we are. Hey, man. We're Good morning. Live. Good morning. We're a little earlier than we normally are. So, um, but yeah, good to see you. So, are we ready to start formally? Let's do the thing. And that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> All right. This is Stephen Earp. And this and is I'm Taylor, Taylor Davis. Davis. Taylor Davis, right there. And uh, we're here today. We want to talk about just the market and what it's what's going on in the market today, right? Yeah. So welcome to the Real Investing Show. If you're watching, we've got a few people watching live right now, or if you're listening on the podcast, um, yeah. Thanks for thanks for joining in. We uh, we try to put out an episode a week, and we talk about um, all things real estate investing. So um, so yeah, uh, I've been involved in real estate investing for close to thirty years now, and uh, in some form or another, and. Taylor has been investing for a really long time as well. And also 14 has years. A lot, 14 years also has a large, uh, large team of, um, agents in Norman, Oklahoma. And so, uh, so yeah, we've been doing this for a long time. So I feel like this is the topic that's on pretty much everyone's like, even if you're not investing in real estate, uh, -huh. State of the market is always something intriguing to people. It's one of the things that as a real estate agent, people will, will ask, you know, and, and want to have a conversation around the market on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. So um, first off, you've been doing this longer, much longer than I have. And you were way more active as an investor through the last crash. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to me about some similarities that you see, man. Uh, well, so first of all, I I feel somewhat inept when it comes to predicting what the market's doing, where it's going, and things like that. So that means you're probably somebody worth listening to. Okay, so so here's <laughs> so I approach like if someone were to ask me, here's what's happening, and I know you read all the the stats and all the details, and you keep up with with all of that. Um, I. I tend to just see what's happening right now and try to make adjustments based on that. So here are the things that I see that are similar. Um, number one, everyone who's not a real estate investor has an opinion on what the market is doing, the real estate market and, and what the market's going to do and why it did what it did. And all of the, all of the uh, couch potato meme champions sure. on social media that have never put or, and let me be gentle and careful about this because I know uh, right here with me is a bona fide licensed real estate agent, but I would also include in that real estate agents that sometimes know some stuff, but don't put their own money in deals. And yeah, so or they, or they come from a, um, from a very localized perspective or very personalized perspective, as opposed yeah. to really kind of looking at national yeah. trends and data. Yeah. So I, so similar, similar things I see to the market now and, um, and the, and you know, the, the, the crash that I was deeply involved in and, uh, at the like 08 and 09, lots of people started having opinions about the market. So you started hearing about the market a whole lot. Um, right. that was similar. Um, change is always scary. So that's similar. But besides that, um, I mean, 
08 and 09 was very different than what we're experiencing now. Like the reasons behind it. Oh yeah. And the challenges behind it and things like that. And so I have thoughts about what might be happening. I have thoughts about what the future might bring, but here's what, here's what actually happened and what we actually did in uh, 07, 08 and 09. And uh, by the way, did you ever see the movie, the big short? Big short. I was literally sitting here thinking oh. like, if, if someone listening to this hasn't watched the movie, the big short, Yes, you really need to go watch that to have a clear understanding yeah. they, because that is all it's almost documentary level. Yeah. While it's an entertaining film, it, it really is what took place and put in a perspective that you, the viewer, can understand because yeah. there were a lot of there were a lot of financial mm-hmm. fail, big institutional failures and failures yeah. of of oversight that, that took place that main street never saw, right? right. Like, like the guy that lost his house in 08 didn't know exactly all of the factors that went into that. Right. And, well, and, and so, and, and, yeah. And a little bit of the factors that went into that, that was the subprime mortgage crash. Right. And here, and here's what happened. And by the way, when, when everything went down really bad um, at the height of it, I had three full-time construction crews working for me. Wow. I did not know that. I mean, I knew you were doing a lot, but yeah. And I was making payments at one time on eight houses that we were rehabbing. And while, while market is dropping at about the same rate that it's been going up over the last. Yeah. It was dropping. And here's what's happening. The market was not only was the market dropping, but I had houses under contract. And we would go three weeks to get all of their their packets submitted for the mortgage lenders. And boom, the mortgage lenders would change the requirements. And it was another four weeks to six weeks. And then boom, they would change the requirements again. And then that buyer doesn't qualify anymore. I mean, like I had a house in Purcell, Oklahoma. We had it under contract four different times. And then finally a local bank, you know, a guy put like 50% down on the property and a local bank, you know, ended up loaning him the rest of the money. And so, um, so as far as similarities, the, the only similarities that I know of for sure is that the market's changing a lot and nobody really knows what's happening. Boom. I agree yeah. with that hundred yeah. percent. There are similarities in that. Uh, we all feel something, right? right? We, we're all very aware and, and markets are made up of the collective's feelings, right? And right. so we're all very hypersensitive right now that there is some kind of a, a shift or a change happening. Right. We don't really know what that is or what that looks right. like exactly. Right. And I, I mean, I follow lots of uh, investing content online and social media accounts with investors and, and real estate um, developers and things like that. And if you want to get content to go viral, on social media, then what you should do is make some really strong statements about exactly what the market's doing, why it's doing it and what's going to happen next. Um, I, I mean, like if you think about what, what actually has happened is interest rates are going up, up, up. So, I mean, so because of nationwide uh, housing shortage and you might can speak to why all that happened and I know COVID contributed to it and lots of other things contributed to it, you know, and long-term, our mortgage rates were like so, so, so low. And they're just now right. climbing up to levels that they've historically been closer to. Uh, and, but like with interest rates going up, um, you know, of course that's going to impact the buying. Um, and so I, my perspective is in every market, 
as an investor in every market, you can make money. It's just all about how you make money and you just kind of shift your strategies. So it's never to me, market shift is an opportunity. So before we, so I, yeah, and I definitely want to chat about where, what, what we've gone through, but real quick, I have to ask this question. Yeah. Did you make money in 2008? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Did you make money in 2009? Yes. Yes. Would you say that those two years were the bottom of the market? Uh, the, the, the bottom of the market. Well, our, where, where, where you were investing. Was it seven, eight yeah. or eight, nine? Somewhere in there. Um, right? It was somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the market was lower when I first started, but I mean, I bought my first house when I was 19 and I'm 47 now. So like where the market you? was lower, but that, that at that point in 08, 09, the market went whoosh, right. like a huge drop. So when that happened, yeah. were you doing the exact same strategies that you were doing at the peak of the market in, in 04, 05? I was doing more of it. You're doing so, more of it. Okay. So what happened, yeah, and I got I did get caught. Like okay. I didn't lose actual money. I lost imaginary money that I would have made if the market had sure. stayed where it was or sure. had gone up. I didn't actually lose money. So when and, did you pivot? When did you start changing your strategy? Well, I was chasing my tail yeah. for a long time because I had these houses under contract. So what I did is I took house by house because I, I at one time I probably had five houses under contract to sell. And and that was and I had three others, you know, that were being rehabbed. And that's when they were the they were changing mortgage requirements and I was losing my buyers right and left. What I started doing is people couldn't qualify for loans. And so all of a sudden, I just started doing lease purchases with people. And then all of a sudden, guess what? The house that I was going to sell for $105,000. You're now selling for $115,000. I'm, I'm selling it for one twenty-five, yeah. and they're and they're paying me $10,000 down, and they're paying me a huge payment month. Because, okay, and here's the deal. So some people are going to hear that and they're going to go, that's not fair. Like, that's not right, blah, blah, blah. Mm. The truth is, is you're solving the problem that that yeah. buyer has in that they can't buy a house. They couldn't buy a house from anyone else. And so and that, you're solving the problem and you're yep. taking on a risk that the bank wasn't willing to, but it yep. was a win for you as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you got out of the property and actually ended up making more. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to guess that you cash flowed on your payment there. Oh my gosh, we way more than cash flowed. Okay, like we, like on those deals, because people were looking to buy, and they're and the like it was like I was doing lease options to people, um, lease purchases to people who who had been under contract and lost it because they were they could only qualify for a subprime loan. So I I I got killed in the short term, but long term it was a huge win. Let me give you one example. Can I tell you about one specific house? Love to hear because it. It, it just came up. This is a house in North Oklahoma City, uh, and it had been a burnout. And we, we paid for it's a three bed, one and a half bath brick home. And now we had to gut it. Okay. Sure. It sure. we bought it, and this was in maybe 05, 06. I don't know. Like it was early in that, and we bought it for like eight thousand dollars. Okay. Wow. And it was a rental neighborhood that at the time was Section 8, but it was all brick. North Highlands, if you know that area. Yeah, yeah. 
So I did. paid seven or eight thousand dollars for it. And the homeowner, it was a burnout, and the homeowner that owned it had gotten a full payment from their insurance. And so and for just them, it was like seven or eight thousand dollars, and then they stopped getting the liens on it because of them not repairing it. So we went in there, we did a total rehab, we rented it out a few times, and then during the subprime thing. I was actually, because the market had gone up and up and up and up, and I'm like, ah, I think I'll sell some stuff and put it into something else. Well, then my buyers on that house couldn't qualify. So here's what happened. This lady came and she couldn't qualify for a regular loan, but she had a job. She had a little bit of money down. We took like a $2,000 down payment. We sold her that house for $60,000 and we carried it on a 15 year note for her. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it may have been 20 year note. I don't know. There's, th there are three years left on it right now. Like she's still in the house. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That never happens, but yeah, she's still in the house. That's rare. Yeah. And so, so she's, and she's, she's never been late in all these years. And so she recently messaged me to check on what the payoff is. And I was looking at it. So that refreshed my mind on it. I was like, oh my gosh, she'll have this thing paid for in like three years. And uh, and that house is probably worth $95,000 now in yeah. today's modern market. And I mean, just think of it. She could not. Now the house at that time, if we had sold it to someone at that time, there's no, we could have only sold it to an investor. There's no way we could have sold that house for more than about forty-five dollars to $50,000. We sold it to her to get into a home for $60,000 and carried it on a 15 year note with a, a pretty decent interest rate for us. Um, and she couldn't have gotten a house otherwise. And she, it's, it's almost paid off. It's she put $2,000 down and 15 years later, she's going to have a paid off house worth a hundred thousand dollars. Even though yeah. this was a quote unquote unfavorable loan for her. Right. Like, I mean, and like, Yep. It's a little bit higher interest rate. The payments yep. are, are going to be a little higher because of it. But the alternative was she rents, right? Yeah. And, so, and, and here's an interesting. And that oh, same house, that same house, if she was renting that house right now, if she'd kept renting, her payment would have been $400 a month by now as to what it is. Right. Because right. we were willing to sell it to her on terms and we've carried it this whole time. So we made tons of money and we did not have large tax implications on it because we sold it over time on terms. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I would do that. I wish I could do that a hundred times over. So that, okay. that's something Here, we do. Here's a really interesting statistic and she falls under the homeowner now, right? Yeah. Yes. The, the average homeowner, the median, excuse me, the median net worth of a homeowner in the United States mm -hmm. is $255,000. So the average net worth of someone who owns their home, $255,000, yeah. the average net worth of a renter is $6,300, $6,300. That right there is one of the main reasons that I love home ownership. It can Great. change. Like for that lady, it changed her generational wealth. Okay. Yep. So I want to come back to real quick to what we are seeing in the market. Uh, some of the similarities, a lot of the differences, yep. uh, historically what's gone on, and then how to prepare as an investor for what that looks like right? Like yep. what, what is the best path forward? So uh, an interesting statistic that I came across recently is <clears throat> this has never been the case before. Yeah. 
51% of homeowners have a sub 4% interest rate. So meaning they're in the two or 3% interest rates, right? Yeah. That Not four and above, but below 4%, 51% of homeowners. So when you compare that to right now, the average interest rates hovering around 6%, right? Yeah. You, you, you have this competition, not with other houses or things like that, but you're really competing with their own interest rate, right? Like, why would I sell my house at 3% interest rate and go buy a house down the street that's similar, maybe a little bit newer, maybe a little bit bigger, but I'm going to pay 6% interest rate? Because here's the difference is, I mean, for every $100,000, just to put this in perspective, for every $100,000... Uh, that you borrow, you know, and yeah. so in today's market in Oklahoma, the average is going to be roughly two two fifty is your average price point somewhere in there. Okay, so let's say round numbers is two hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. For every one percentage on that two hundred thousand, you're paying two thousand dollars more a year in interest, right? Mm -hmm. So, so if you're going from a three percent to a six percent, and you're in a two hundred thousand dollar house, either way, you're in, you're going to end up paying. Uh, $6,000 more a year in interest hmm. for that same payment. So, so you start to get this $500 a month, right? I mean, this is a very significant thing. We're not talking about, you know, 60, $70 here. So now I'm a, I, 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 things are still moving. Things are still going to continue to move. There are always going to be people that are in a life situation where they need to change. I mean, we, we saw that in 08. And yeah. by the way, if you bought a house at the top of the market in 2005 and you went through that crash and it hurt, right? On paper, it hurt. But if you stayed put by mm -hmm. 2013, you were fully recovered to your, your, your price. Okay. Uh, so at, at least national average, okay? Mm. Uh, actually, in places like Oklahoma, you recovered quicker than that. But national average, 2005 to 2013 to get back to the same price point. Mm -hmm. um, which follows, and typically a real estate cycle is seven years. And that follows a tracks real close to that. Now we brought in some quantitative easing and some other things that the federal government or the, the federal reserve did to ease that. The, the problem is, is now this is a totally different issue. And one of the issues that we, we have right now is an inventory problem, right? So mm -hmm. just to put this in perspective, Oklahoma city, their MLS um, that multiple listing service that all of the houses go on for the realtors. They are, um, it really services the whole metro and, and kind of some of the outlying surrounding areas. On average, we used to have somewhere between six and 8,000 homes on the market at any given time. Right now we have about three. So wow. we are we are far lower in inventory than we normally. Now compare that to where people typically start the buying process before they think about selling, right? Like, right. you know, what you're, you, you want to know what your house is worth, but really you got to go find the house first before you put your house on the market. Right. Well, we have this, we have this very limited inventory right now and we have higher interest rates. And so, and I'm not going to put my house on the market until I find a house that I want. So this, this kind of creates this slowdown in number of transactions. 
And that's what we're seeing is a slowdown in the number of transactions. We're not seeing prices drop. We're, we're seeing prices leveling off because, and this is an interesting stat, houses were actually more affordable in 2020 and 2021 as prices were skyrocketing. Prices were more affordable than they were in the 80s. Uh, when you compare when you compare your average income mm-hmm. to the 80 and you adjust, it still was a smaller percentage of income to own a house, even though you're paying so much more for that house yeah. because of the interest rate. That interest rate. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, early, early 80s. I mean, I was a kid, but early 80s, um, like I had grandparents that were real estate investors in the 70s and 80s. And like in the 80s, you had like adjustable rate mortgages in in the in the teens. Yeah. My 13, 14, 15, 16% interest rates. My grandpa was telling me the other day, we were talking about this. Yeah. And he bought, he was in he was in the oil field and he bought a nicer house in like Mm -hmm. I think it was 84. Yeah. And he paid 24% interest on that property. Yeah. 24% interest. Yeah, man. And I, and I don't know, like, so in the, in the mid to late eighties, the savings and loan crash right here. And I remember that because my family, because again, my, my grandparents were real estate investors. My aunts and uncles were all real estate investors at the time and they were developers. And so, I mean, I remember being a kid, I remember being a 10 year old kid and hearing about like savings and loan crash. And that was connected to the oil bust here in Oklahoma. So the oil bust and the savings and loan crash in like 1987. Then bank went down. It it drug everyone down in Oklahoma. Yeah. And then, yeah. And before that, see, when I very first started, this is a little nostalgia that's probably irrelevant for most of our listeners. But when I very first started in investing in real estate, you could still find assumable loans. Yeah. And of course, there are other ways we do it now, but- Back then, there were there were ways to actually assume someone else's loan. So interesting, and, so, and this yeah. is a good tidbit because I do think that this is an area where in savvy investors, because we talked about, I mean, you had to pivot, right? You had to pivot in, in 08, 09 from just yeah. selling the house like you normally did to doing a lease purchase. And right. and the faster someone, this is the, if there's one takeaway that someone yeah. takes away from this, the faster you pivot, the more mm-hmm. you'll win, right? Yeah, totally, yeah. You you have to pivot quick. Yeah. Because and you know what? You got I, on the here, front edge of it. Totally, man. And you know what? Something else I was telling my, cause I partner with my daughter and son-in-law on some local rehabs and stuff. And I was telling them like when the market is questionable or the market is hard, um, that's when you want to buckle down because half of everyone else is going to quit and leave the market. 100%. And, it's an opportunity when the market gets hard. It's an opportunity for the people that don't quit. And have- well, here's and here's what it is. Yeah, the market has a problem, and yeah. the first person to solve that problem wins. Oh yes, yes. You yeah. so when you when you get uh, when you get in this shifting market like what we're seeing right now, uh-huh. we know there is a problem to solve. How right. do we solve that? And the first one to figure that out will win. And these tactics that we've used in the past, we can Mm -hmm. use a bunch of those, but most likely we're going to have to tweak those and, and maneuver those to today's market. And going back to the assumable loan, 
-hmm. you're right. They don't have conventional assumable loans anymore. They haven't in a long time. Right. However, it's like the late eighties. <laughs> however, uh, for our veterans, uh, veterans are VA loans are assumable. So if you are, if you are a veteran and you qualify for a VA loan, you could assume someone else's VA loan and you mm -hmm. may be able to get that at in the twos or three percents. Okay. So mm -hmm. we'll come back to that. And FHA also has assumable products. So if, if the person that you're looking at buying a house from mm -hmm. has a VA or an FHA loan, you uh -huh. need to look and see if that's an assumable loan, because right. if that's an assumable loan, the numbers that you're going to be able to, to pay for the house are significantly more, which is a win for them. Right. While you're getting a lower payment than what you could get even at a lower price, right? Because if I'm able to assume a loan at 3% yeah. versus me going out and getting a loan at 6 or 7% as an investor, yeah. my cash flow is so much better. I'll give you more for that house. Yes. But now I can cash flow yeah. and take that. Yeah. So that it, it, there are still these opportunities. You just got to know where to look. And yeah. So FHA and VA are an opportunity. I personally, I love it when the market gets wonky and people get nervous. I love it because I, I love trying to figure it out and yes. I love trying to make the fast changes. And it's like, I'll try this. Oh, that's not quite what I wanted. I'll try that. Not quite what I And then like shortly we will figure out the right combination. And when we do, we're going to multiply it and do it over and over and over and over until the market yes. changes again. And every entrepreneur just shook their head yes. And every non-entrepreneur went, uh-uh, <laughs> like to that idea, right? Hey, listen, when you start talking about, man, the market's real scary right now, seriously, that gets my like adrenaline going. I'm like, yes, bring so, it on. Because other people are going to drop. One of my favorite quotes, and it comes from Warren Buffett, who is yeah. the what greatest investor of all time, basically. Right. Yeah, I go down as one of the best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, when others are greedy, be fearful. And mm -hmm. when others are fearful, be greedy. And yeah. that, like, if, if you see people running for the hills and yeah. they're scared, that's mm -hmm. where your opportunity lies. Yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you see everyone going into one thing, mm -hmm. be careful. Yeah. Right. Because because that that's most likely a bubble. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, we have this really awesome opportunity. Right. So real quick, I'm going to summarize how we got to where we are in two minutes. Okay? Do it. So uh, so we're going to go back to 2005, right? Yeah. 2004, 2005, building is hot. Everyone's developing. Everyone's building. Lenders are extending themselves. Uh, everyone's buying. If you could breathe, you could buy. Okay? Right. Um, then uh, crash happens. All of these financial institutions pull back and restrict. By the way, uh, like over 50% of home builders declare bankruptcy. Okay, so you talk about ripping the Band-Aid off. That hurt. And it took builders and developers and lenders all took yeah. a step back and said, we're not doing this right now, right? right. And over the last, um, over the last what, uh, 14 years, so from mm -hmm. 2008 until 2021 was the first time that enough building permits were pulled in the United States to keep up with population growth. Okay, hmm. so we had this we have this drought of 
13 years where we weren't building enough to keep up with population demand. Okay. Okay. So, well, we know how markets work. It's supply and demand. So that has caused prices to increase at at a fairly dramatic level. Now, what, what kept that affordable was interest rates dropping. So as these interest rates dropped and prices went up, your affordability metric was still there. But we still have this underlying inventory problem. And, uh, and we still have it today. That, I mean, look at the, just even in the local market, we have 3,000 versus, you know, six to 8,000. Um, we have to build our way out of that. So there's this underlying problem there. Uh, that is going to be the long-term fix is building our way out of it. Hmm. So it's not the same because before it was this bubble that was created by buyers that shouldn't be able to buy. And now we have this other issue that's kind of under there, but we also have people that are, that are experiencing a lot of inflation, right? Everyone's experiencing this massive inflation right now. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people locked in at a really low interest rate. So you're creating what they're calling what they call stagnation, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's, there's inflation that is actually stagnating the market because of the inflation. So okay. because the interest rates are so low on my fixed rate house, I'm not entering the market and I'm not creating that circular market. So, so that's where we're sitting right now. They have to increase interest rates in order to fix the inflation problem. So we're going through this same problem that we had. Now, the question is, where do they stop? Where do interest rates stop? Right. And that's the, that's the piece that, that's going to shift this market. But where we're at right now is we have, we have to find creative ways to get inventory moving in order to be successful investors right now. Mm-hmm. And we've got to compete with a, a, a lot of these, uh, these lower interest rates. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, so, um, so being creative, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's maybe finding an assumable mortgage or doing a subject too, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is a that's an old school method that has some implications that you got to work through. Yeah, um, which I I've been. I, what's interesting, you mentioned that the last four or five months, I've looked at that more and I've started doing subject twos again. Yeah, for a long time, I completely swore off of them, but with the right disclosures and the right plan and the right house and the right seller right now, I think a subject to is a home run in many ways. Yep, uh, getting yep. Finding deals like a, a subject to where you're taking over someone's mortgage subject, subject to their existing mortgage uh, owner finance, where people are just financing the home for you. Yep, there, yep. There's some of that um, <clears throat> as an investor uh, probates, and people going into nursing homes, those are big opportunity right now for people who want to buy, you know. Um, Baby boomers are retiring at a crazy rate right now. And a lot of them need to downsize. Yep. A lot of them need to downsize. And a lot of these homes, they're they're outdated back to the 1970s. They need uh, significant rehabs. I mean, man, some of the houses I've looked at lately, it's like, okay, this is an $80,000 facelift to, you know, on this house. Uh, and so, uh, those are opportunities. Um, also another opportunity is investing in multifamily, which is growing and growing and growing, uh, which you and I have been working on a lot more recently. Um, so in a, and you can, you can invest in multifamily and commercial property as a passive investor, 
which is uh, if any of you listening or watching are interested in partnering with Taylor and myself on uh, on some bigger projects, you know, let us know if you have resources. It's a way to leverage uh, a little bit of money for a larger game. Right. So you're able to play you're able to play and compete with these um, these hedge funds that are that are coming in and buying these all, uh, yep. all, all of the all the houses. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you're able to get in and and the nice that what, what oh we'll have to tease this because we're coming coming up on our time. But yeah. one of the things that I love about commercial versus residential mm-hmm. is the leverage is different. Like the way you make money in commercial and the way you make money in residential is completely different. In residential, I'm really looking at the market around me to determine my value. In commercial, you're really just looking on the amount of money that that property is bringing in to determine your value. And so there's a totally different lever point. Should we touch on that next week? Yeah, we can, well, we can talk, talk about that. So there's several topics we've mentioned that we could probably expand on at some point. Perfect. Um, finding deals in this market subject to subject to and creative creative, creative deals um commercial i got to i got to i got to do this real quick by yeah. the way i've been around a lot of investors and and guys i i don't know that i've ever been around somebody as creative as steven Earp. like oh man you're too like, kind no i mean for real like the one thing that i love about real estate and i love to do this and and i only and i learned this from you there's uh, always a solution. We just got to find it, right? Dude, and, thanks for saying that. Thanks for yeah, saying that. I love it. So You just filled up my tank. I'm good for another, like, yeah. it's like you just put air in my tires. I can drive for another 100,000 miles. So, kind <laughs> words. You don't even have to pay me to do this podcast anymore. You can <laughs> good. say something nice about me once a month. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, yeah, so. Awesome. So those are some. So we've got options. several contents we'll come up with yeah. on the next one. So we, we'll look at creative. We'll look at commercial yeah. versus uh, yeah. residential. So, uh, let us know, guys. Those of you who are watching, uh, let us know in the comments or send me a message or send Taylor a message. What do you want to hear about the most? Do you want to hear about how to find deals in this market? Do you want to do you want to hear more about um, you know subject to financing or seller financing? How you know? Or do you want to hear more about commercial? Let us know. Uh, let us know what you're most interested in and we can tackle those topics one at a time. So um, good stuff. I love hearing your expertise on the market, bro. Um, one thing about the great Taylor Davis is you actually keep up with the market and uh, you, you know what's I find happening. It fascinating. Like, I know. It, I mean, it's just it, I, like it's my entertaining reads. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's not weird at all. You know, <laughs> reading financial news. On your spare, I'm sure you take your family down to your, you know, your lake house and you're like, Hey kids, enjoy the sun. I'm just going to read. I'm going to read about the market. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually fairly true. I'm going to read about why things happened in the, the I got to know. I got to know. I know. I know. So, well, I love you, man. I love working with you. And, um, yeah. So we'll next week. All right. Blessings to you guys. You know, let me hit, let me hit our dealio. We can like we can like say goodbye the formal way. Oh, Thanks yeah. for watching the Real Investing Show, guys. And let us know, especially if you're interested in partnering with us on uh, larger commercial deals, multifamily, or if you're looking for a an agent uh, in the Oklahoma City metro area, you can work directly with uh, Taylor and his team. Uh, or if you're looking for to buy or sell property in any part of the United States, Taylor can help you get connected to the right people to do that. So, any closing thoughts, Taylor? You nailed it. All right. Blessings, guys.